Okay, well, um, can I ask you please, if you've not already, to go, go to the hub and make sure you have a copy of the outline in front of you. Uh, and also, you'll find on that outline the Bible passage itself. It's only a short passage. It would be really useful to have that open uh, today as we get started on Psalm 13. Uh, as I said before, one of the reasons why we're doing this particular series is because uh, the Psalms are the Old Testament uh, songbook um, for God's people. You might liken it, I guess, to a Spotify playlist. These are the things that they sung to themselves to remind them of what God was like. Um, I personally find that the Psalms, although are wonderfully evocative, at times they're they're quite bewildering. Uh, and so I hope that over the next three weeks, as we just make our way through three psalms in a row, um, I figure the psalms are meant to be read in order, that's why they're listed that way, 13, 14, and 15. I hope you, you find this, this is a time where we're reminded of what God is like, because uh, I actually think that's the key to reading the psalms. Uh, first and foremost, the description of what God is like, so that as Christians, when we see Jesus, Jesus who's the fullest picture of God, we get an even greater picture of how good our God is, and then finally how we respond. So if you look at the outline, you'll see that's what I'm going to cover today for just a few minutes. Uh, where I want to start, though, is with a question. The question is this, and it's on the, on the um, outline. Hopefully you can see it there. Uh, for you, which is the bigger challenge to your faith? For you, which is the bigger challenge to your faith? The questions that you have in your own head or the attacks that sometimes we experience from unbelievers? Which is the bigger question to you in your faith, uh, the challenge for you in your faith, the questions in your own head, or the attacks at times that we experience from unbelievers? I wonder how you might answer that question. And I wonder why you would respond that way. Well, I'm asking that question at the start of this talk because that's exactly what I think this short but incredibly profound psalm is grappling with. So let's get into it then. Firstly, what does Psalm 13 tell us about God? Thanks to Rick for reading for us. As you'll have noticed, it's a short psalm. There's a simple structure to it. Uh, it's in two parts. There's a problem in verses 1 through 4, and there's a solution in verses 5 and 6. Problem in verses 1 through 4 and a solution in verses 5 and 6. Uh, there's also a heading, actually, at the start of the psalm, which uh, wasn't read out, but let me just point you to it. The heading is, uh, it says there, it's for the director of music, a psalm of David. For the director of music, a psalm of David, it reminds us that, this is important, psalms were songs, and they were meant to be sung. And this particular song starts with a really powerful lament that grabbed our attention. You couldn't help but notice it in those first two verses, repeated four times, the words, how long? How long? Have a look again at verses 1 and 2. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Now, we don't actually know what the specifics are of David's situation, but clearly he is in serious trouble, is he not? Anyone who can say these kinds of things, they are facing immense difficulties and trials. Now, you see them in at least three different ways. Firstly, there is trouble with God. David has trouble with God himself. Verse 1, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? This challenge for David is very personal, especially when you realize that that word Lord there, uh, it's in capitals. Whenever you see the word Lord in capitals in the Bible, it means more than just a Lord as a master. It's actually the Old Testament people of God's word for God himself. It's the very personal name that they had. 
Here David is saying that his God has hidden his face from him. That's a serious problem. And that leads to a second kind of trouble for David. Trouble not just with God, but trouble even in himself. So look at verse 2. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? See, God has been silent. God has hidden his face from David. As a result, that's put David in a dark place of inner turmoil. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? All on my own. I don't want to be trivial, of course, uh, when it comes to the Bible, but um, to draw a comparison, I wonder what goes through your mind when someone doesn't reply to your email or to your text message. For David, it's God who has been silent. So he has trouble with God, he has trouble in himself, but thirdly, in the second part of verse 2, you see that he has trouble from others. How long will my enemy triumph over me? And it seems that this is probably the presenting problem for David. He is under some kind of attack. We don't know the specifics, but it appears to be some kind of life and death situation. Uh, look on at verses 3 and 4. Verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 13. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. We don't know the details, but whatever it is, this is a life and death situation for David. And I suspect that, um, well, if you consider on a global scale what's happened this year, all of us can imagine a situation where we experience that kind of terror and fear. Well, given what David has described, is it any surprise that his particular circumstances have caused him to question not just himself, his circumstances have caused him to question God's character. What is this God like? Now, let me just pause for a moment and say that uh, if you're tuning in for the first time to the Psalms, uh, you might be frustrated by not knowing the specifics of what is actually going on for David. Uh, sadly, often the Psalms are like that. They describe a situation, but we don't have the details of what was actually going on. And sometimes that can cause us a degree of frustration. If only we knew exactly the circumstances, we'd know how well to relate to them. Well, that's one way of looking at it. I guess the other way of looking at it is to say that, in a sense, it's okay that we don't know the details or the specifics, because I think it gives us a freedom to imagine uh, similar scenarios where we might find us asking the questions that David himself is asking. So... What are those parallel situations for us? Or, or to use the question with which I began this talk, what's the bigger challenge to your faith? Attacks from unbelievers or the questions that are unanswered in your head? Uh, maybe it's the attacks from unbelievers. It could be physical, although, to be fair, in our part of the world, that's rarely the case. Nevertheless, globally for many Christians, that's the reality of their experience. Or maybe the attacks from unbelievers are just the ridicule and scorn we suffer when those who don't follow Christ try to mock us for the faith that we profess. Perhaps that's been even stronger this year. 
in the light of coronavirus, where is this God who you claim loves the world so much? If it's not the attacks of unbelievers, maybe it's the questions in our heads. Maybe it's the questions that arise when we look around at the world around us and we see the lives of those who aren't Christians that in many ways seem so easy, so uncomplicated. After all, those who aren't believers don't spend every waking moment trying to seek out opportunities to talk about Jesus. They're not always looking for those situations where you preach about sin that you might in turn declare God's forgiveness. Surely, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've been tempted just to keep quiet because it's so much easier. I know that I have. Well, verses 1 through 4 of Psalm 13 set out the problem. Thankfully, in verses 5 and 6, uh, we see the wonder of David's solution. Uh, come with me to verses 5 and 6. Uh, you'll see that the turning point comes here with the word but at the start of verse 5. And in a moment, I'm going to read it. Uh, now, let me just say, I'm no songwriter, but I imagine that if verses 1 through 4, uh, well, they would probably be in a minor key, um, a haunting lament as David reflects on this tale of woe before you get a key change in verses 5 and 6. You know, a, a stirring, upbeat power anthem as he builds to a rising crescendo, brings it home so that we finish on a positive note. I mean, listen to what happens. Verse 5, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Notice two critical things about David's response to the crisis that he is facing. Firstly, David doesn't take matters into his own hands. David doesn't take matters into his own hands. Uh, he never actually does anything in Psalm 13. But the only thing he does, in fact, is that he appeals to God to intervene. So verse 5, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation, I will sing the Lord's praise. Uh, in fact, what we discover is that David's solution is not really David's solution because David can't solve his dilemma. Rather, he needs God's deliverance because he cannot manufacture his own. Here's the second thing to notice about uh, David's response. Uh, although David confidently calls on God not to forget him, not to hide his face, to answer, to give light to his eyes. Psalm 13 finishes without telling us if God actually intervenes. Psalm 13 concludes without us knowing what happened. In other words, one of the things that Psalm 13 does is reminds us that there is no promise of when God will act, simply a conviction that he will. There is no promise of when God will act, simply a conviction that he will. And in that sense, I guess, it is kind of like living in lockdown. All of us know, we recall this, eventually it will end, but we just don't know when. And in many ways, that's a large part of the turmoil, is it not? Instead, Psalm 13 simply finishes with David's resolution. His resolution, despite all that's taken place, 
He will trust in God's unfailing love. So his heart rejoices and he will sing the Lord's praise. I love how in just these short few verses, David has made an extraordinary progression. Trust, rejoice, sing. Trust, rejoice, sing. And I take it, because the Psalms are meant to be sung, that that's exactly what he's doing right now. He is singing of the Lord's praises and why he is worthy of them. Well, let me pause again and just ask the big question. Why is David content to trust in God's unfailing love? Why is David content to trust in God's timing and not to devise his own solution? Well, the clue lies in the very last verse of the psalm. Have a look with me there in the last line. Why is David content to trust, to rejoice and to sing? Verse 6. For God has been good to him. Because God has been good to him. The way Psalm 13 works is to remind us that what God has done before gives David confidence about what God will do again. What God has done before gives David confidence about what God will do again. Uh, Most of you will know, I've said this a number of times, one of the basic tenets of modern psychology is that the best indicator of future performance is past behaviour. Never more so with God. The reason we can have a confidence that he will act in a certain way in the future is because of what he has done in the past. And that's very countercultural for us. We as a people value living in the moment, in the here and now. And of course you don't want to be absent, but actually the way to live is more than just now, it is to see the bigger picture. It is so easy to feel overwhelmed and flooded in the moment. Which is why I think Psalm 13 says the only way to live for the future is to remember the past. What God has done in the past, that gives us confidence for what he will do once again. Uh, Those of us here who are slowly going blind know something of this. Um, If you're going blind, then, um, as as I am, uh, there eventually comes that sad day where you need multifocals. Uh, Now, I know some of you have already reached that very tragic moment. Uh, multifocals that enable you to see, in a sense, both near and far. That's almost exactly what we need. We need the ability to see both now, but also ahead. And the only reason you have a confidence to do that is actually because of what lies behind us. Psalm 13 is telling us that David has a choice to make right now as he waits for God's intervention in the future. And that choice is based entirely on what God has done in the past. Will he sing the Lord's praise, no matter how he is feeling in the here and now, no matter what others are saying to him? Psalm 13 doesn't call on us to be naive in our denial about the reality of hardship. It's not calling on us to stick our heads in the sand and pretend that everything is okay. Living by faith is hard at times. That's why the psalm began with a lament. How long, O Lord, until you intervene? But what Psalm 13 calls on us to do is, right here and now, make the choice. Make the choice that David made to move from dwelling in our circumstances to praising God's character. To move from desperate petition 
to heartfelt praise because our God will not forget us. Well, there's a few reflections on Psalm 13 itself and how it describes what our God is like. He is a God who will not forget. Let me make just a brief comment then about how Psalm 13 points us to Jesus. Because of course the great gift for us as Christians is that we read the Psalms not just as the Old Testament people of God, but as those who live on the other side of Christ, who is the fullest revelation of what God is like. Now, there's so many ways that Psalm 13 points us to Jesus. I think, as I read Psalm 13, of Jesus himself being attacked by Satan in the desert with almost the exact same question, where is your God now? Or I think of Jesus being full of sorrow in his heart in the Garden of Gethsemane at Lazarus's tomb. But above all, as I read Psalm 13, I think of Jesus' final words before his death. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at the same time, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Expression of trust that God will not forget him. I think that's wonderfully reassuring. You see, Jesus knows what you and I are enduring, even when it feels like at times no one else could possibly understand the grief that you suffer. Jesus knows. And he has trusted our Father's unfailing love. What reassurance for us that if the Father did not abandon his Son, if he raised him to life, he will not forget us either. Well, what Psalm 13 says about God, how it points to Jesus, let me just finish then very briefly with a couple of reflections on what Psalm 13 asks of us today. Uh, as I said throughout this, uh, and I'll say it one last time, Psalm 13 is a song. It's meant to be sung. And actually the singing of music, the singing of songs, is one of the ways in which it shapes us. It's kind of like when you go from church humming a tune of a great song that you've sung, it sticks in your head for the week ahead. Is that not, has that not been one of the hardships of this year, that even when we could gather for a period, we could not sing, because the singing in and of itself is a thing that instructs us and shapes us to be more like Christ. So Psalm 13 is a song that's meant to be sung. Now, I've said that so many times this day, today that you're probably wondering if at this point I'm going to sing Psalm 13 for you. Fear not. That would make it memorable for all the wrong reasons. Uh, although I do have a practical suggestion in a moment that might help us to remember this psalm in the week ahead, that it might shape us. One of the things that makes Psalm 13 so memorable, I think, is that, and I'm going to use a musical term here, although slightly change it, it's a lovely blended three-part harmony. It's a lovely blended three-part harmony. What I mean is that there's actually three different tunes running throughout this song. If you think back to what we've seen, there's David's honest expression of his thoughts, of his troubles, of his hardship. He's very real about them. Secondly, there is the pain and the hurt of the enemy's attacks in verses 3 and 4. But thirdly, in Psalm 13, there is the praiseworthy character of our God. In just six verses, you actually hear three different tunes. And I hope you realise that at the end of Psalm 13, 
we're being told that you need all three tunes to have a full picture of life. If I could put it slightly differently, a song sound in a song sung in unison, a solo voice, that is lovely, but a trio or an ensemble is even more spectacular. Psalm 13, in its six short verses, with its three different tunes, is telling us that the Lord is in every moment of life, both in despair and in delight, in grief and in celebration. And so, no matter which season you find yourself in this morning, it will be okay if the God who does not forget is there with us as well. Let me ask you, which of those three tunes do you need to hear most clearly this morning? Which is the one that will stick in your mind in this week ahead? As I reflected on Psalm 13, in many ways it's those opening two verses that's most memorable, that repeated how long, how long, how long, you hear the pain of the man at this point. But actually, I think it's the conclusion in verses 5 and 6 that we really need ringing in our ears. It's the conclusion in verses 5 and 6 that stops us from morbidly dwelling on our circumstances and instead moves us to thankfully praising God's good character. Because no matter what season we are in, we have so many reasons to sing the Lord's praise. He has been very good to us. Even if you just reflect back over the year that we've had and the experience of COVID, for most of us in Australia, I understand that it's touched some people's lives in really tragic ways, but for most of us, it's been little more than an, uh, an inconvenience. To live in Australia, to live in South Australia of all places, how thankful are you that you have not lived in Victoria? We have the best medical system in the world. I can attest to that in that even in the middle of COVID, I had a diagnosis and I was operated on in eight hours. How thankful we are. We have a government that is throwing money out left, right and centre. And we have shops that are still full of food most of the time. We have so much to give thanks to God for. I think that's the tune that we need ringing in our ears. One last time. Psalm 13 is not a naive, simplistic message. It's not saying everything is okay. It's saying everything will be alright. Because God has been good to us. And though we don't know exactly when he will intervene, we can sing his praises because he will never forget us. It is okay to cry, how long, O Lord, if you do so in faith, because you have not given up. Because that's the cry, that's the question that every child asks on a car trip. You know the one that I mean? Are we there yet? How long till we get there? They ask because they know eventually the wait will be over. They don't actually doubt the destination. 
If you're here today as someone who's not a Christian, if you've come at the invitation of a member of this church, then once again, I want to welcome you and say how delighted the members of this church are that you've given time to be with us here today. Can I ask you to invite the Christian friend who has asked you here to share with you something of this confidence that they have? I must confess that for many Christians, at times it doesn't always come across at first glance. But a confidence about what God has done in the past shapes the way in which we think about the future. And that gives a hope that you cannot find anywhere else in this world. So the members of this church, can I say, in conclusion, please remember David's progression in this psalm. Trust, rejoice, sing. We have a great song to sing. We have a better tune than the lament that this world alone can offer. And I think that's one of the things that will surely cause us to stand out, to be different from those around us. Earlier this year, I was talking to one of our students uh, who's in the third year of her course. She talked to me about how for the last three years, every time she has gone to an ES event, a Christian event on campus, she's told one of her friends that she's going off to a Christian event and the person has never responded. Not even said anything at all, so there's been this awkward silence between the two of them. This year, for the first time, in May, her friend approached her and said, I think it's about time that I find out about what you believe because I need some hope and I can't find it anywhere else. That's the kind of witness, I think, that Christians bear in the world around us. Trust, rejoice, sing, because we have a better song. Well, uh, I said that I'd finish by giving you a way to try and remember this song, apart from me singing it to you. So here's my suggestion for you in this week ahead. For the next six days until we meet again, every time when you wake up in the morning, can I ask you just to say verses 5 and 6 as the very first thing that you do in the day? Each morning, say verses 5 and 6, because I reckon if you start the day by saying just those two verses, it might help shape the way in which you think about whatever circumstances you find yourself in. It's on the screen at this point, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask us to say it as we finish, and then perhaps in the week ahead you might give it a go and see how that shapes the way in which you think about this world in this week ahead. Will you join me in saying it together? Verse 5. I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Again, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Amen. Uh, we're going to continue in prayer at this point.